Well, listen, grab your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. So today we are continuing our series as we've journeyed through the Sermon on the Mount in a sub-series called A Better Treasure. We're coming to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're rounding the corner, and today we're starting in chapter 7. And uh, it's ironic that today the title of the sermon is Seeing Clearly and Judging Graciously. Seeing Clearly and Judging Graciously. How many of you know that vision is important? Seeing clearly is important. Anybody believe that? If you're driving down the road and you're in a busy uh, interstate and, and your, your view is obstructed, bad things can happen, right? If there is something in your eye, I mean, you want to get that removed. Not only is it painful, but man, it's blurry and it's hard to see. A couple of days ago, one of my kids got something in their eye and they were in full-blown panic mode. Uh, trying to get it out because it's, it irritates and, and there's kind of this fear. Everything's blurry. I can't see. Well, this last week, I did, yesterday actually, I did something that I thought I would never do. Um, I had to go get reading glasses. Um, this was something that was long overdue in my life and 44 has caused me to embrace both the back aches and uh, the, the inability to see. I've beat this thing by 10 years, supposed to have glasses a long time ago. And a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, preaching and I was stuttering and stammering, lost in my notes, couldn't read the verses. I mean, it was, everything was blurry. And I, I, I come off stage, I go home and I was talking to wife, my wife like I always do about sermons. I say, hey, what do you think about sermon day? She's like, I thought it was great. She's like, but you need glasses. Uh, you, you, you struggled the entire sermon. And then I found out that, that Amy, during that sermon, leaned over to Adrian. is like, he needs glasses. And so I went and got glasses yesterday. And so this is seeing clearly is going to be something new for all of us today. And so here we go. Uh, they're on now. I can see everything clearly. I want you to know that these glasses were picked out by my oldest daughter. Um, here's why. I came home with some of the cheap readers and she's like, those are old man glasses and um, we're gonna go. And so she took me to Walgreens and we found some, I, I don't know, these glasses that she gave me approval for. So here we are seeing clearly Matthew chapter seven, start reading in verse number one. Scripture says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged with the measure you use it, it we measure to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now this verse six is where it gets really confusing, all right? Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, Here's what I'm going to talk about this morning. Verse one is, I believe, the most, next to Philippians 4.13, misquoted and misused passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. Now, Philippians 4.13 is, is crazy misused in the sports world, right? So Philippians 4.13, what, what is that? Somebody tell me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So the coach before the game, we're playing a team that we don't know that we can beat, and all of a sudden he gets a spiritual moment. Philippians 4.13, boys. We can do all things through Christ to give me strength. Or we have that player who writes it under, uh, the, under their eye because they saw Tim Tebow do that, right? We got the coffee mug, all right, to help us get motivated for the day. I can get the job and I'm gonna interview well because I can do all things through Christ to give me strength. That is not what that verse is about. In fact, let me just help you. The context of Philippians 4.13 is more about you losing the game and not getting the job 
and not having a good day than it is about you actually accomplishing all those things. Philippians 14, 13, it's not about you receiving this special power so you can do anything. It's about you having strength that's greater than your circumstances. So that even if you lose and you don't get the job and your day is not great, in Christ's strength, you can endure it. Well, the next, I believe, most misused, misquoted scripture in all the Bible is what we find here in Matthew chapter seven, verse number one. Judge not, lest you be judged. This is, I believe, popular culture's favorite weapon against Christianity. And this is what the context you hear. You're, you're having a, maybe a Christian's debate on television and someone says, well, listen, this is sin or this is sin and this, this lifestyle is against the scriptures and I think this is wrong for people to do this and what is the trump card? They'll pull this verse out, an unbeliever will, and then tag it onto the Christian and say, well, doesn't Jesus say you shouldn't judge? And all of a sudden they quote to King James, judge not lest you be judged. That's what Jesus says. And really the understanding of this, according to secular culture is, is that this verse means you cannot identify something as right or wrong because Jesus says we don't have the ability to declare something to be right and wrong. We don't have the right to judge. Now there's just one small problem with that interpretation. It's called the Bible, all right? That, that's not what this verse means. That's not the implications of what Jesus is communicating. See, oftentimes, even in the life of believers, believers will use this to excuse their sin. Someone calls out sin in their life, and what do they do? Well, don't judge me. You're not the judge of me. Jesus is the judge of me. He says not to judge me. And then they quote ambiguously this verse of Scripture and misuse it so that they can deflect. Rather than dealing with their sin and getting honest with where they are, they use this verse as the trump card to go, okay, hey, listen, you can't judge me. Jesus says that you can't. Well, is that really what Jesus is saying? Well, if it is, we've got a problem with Scripture. And here's one of the reasons why. The Bible is a book of judgment. The Bible is a book that, that declares that there are boundaries, that there are standards, that there are right things and there are wrong things, that there are parameters in life. And it determines those boundaries and those things that are right. It determines what is righteous and what is not righteous. So the, the Bible itself gives us parameters of life that we must see the world by, therefore evaluate circumstances and say, according to the scripture, that is wrong, and according to scripture, this is right. The other problem you have is that the people in the Bible, like the prophets, the prophets constantly confronted the sin of the people, calling sin what it is. The apostle Paul, what does the apostle Paul do? He calls out the false teaching. I mean, in some cases, calls people by name. Even Peter, if you go to Galatians, he confronts Peter's sin of hypocrisy to his face in a crowd. It says, Peter, you're not walking in consistency with the gospel. What was Paul doing there? He was casting a somewhat of a judgment in that moment, determining something to be wrong and calling Peter out on it. You also see this later on in the context. If Jesus is meaning here that you cannot judge at all or make any evaluations of circumstances to determine whether they're right or wrong, how do you deal with what Jesus would say later on when he warns us in verse 15? He says, beware of false prophets. In other words, there are gonna be people out there that you need to be leery of. And then he goes on to say, you will know them by their fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying, the false prophets you can identify, how can you identify? You watch their life, their lifestyle is the fruit he's talking about, and based upon your observation, you can make a determination 
of whether or not they are truly from me and not from me. What does that require? Judgment. It requires that you make an evaluation. Jesus would go on to say in John chapter number seven, verse 24, he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So here Jesus is talking about judging with a right judgment. In other words, not making false accusations, but being accurate in when you deal with the sin or a circumstance that you need to address. So what is Jesus teaching here when he says, judge not lest you be judged? Here's what I want to do this morning. Because here's what I believe Jesus is saying. While I don't believe he's saying we cannot evaluate and make determining decisions on whether something's right or wrong based upon biblical evaluation, here's what I think what Jesus is meaning when he says, judge not lest you be judged. I think Jesus is talking about, number one, why we judge, number two, how we judge, and number three, what we do after we judge. It's why we judge. What's our motives? What is our intention in that? Is it just to cast condemnation? And, and how do we do this? Do we, do we just condemn someone and point at their sin and demean them for their behavior? Are we, are we doing this hypocritically without addressing our own sin, which we'll talk about this morning a little bit? What do we do after? Do we just cast them aside and say that they're worthless? Do we walk away from the relationship because we don't agree with their positions or whatever it might be? I think this is what Jesus is dealing with. It's a spirit of condemnation that dismisses and disregards people based upon our evaluation because potentially our motives are wrong. So how do we guard ourselves from this? So here's what I want to do. I believe today could be very helpful. I, this week I've been praying all week long because this has been so convicting in my life. I, I, I mean, to be honest with you, like so convicting because I see so many areas in my leadership and in relationships where I violate what Jesus is commanding me here to not do. And, and really all week I've been thinking this may be one of the most helpful practical sermons I've ever preached. And this morning we were backstage, we pray with the deacons before I come out. And I, I just said, I just really feel like, wow, this is going to be very simple and practical. I feel like with where we are as a church, the season we're in of prayer, of asking the Holy Spirit just to do a fresh work in our life, I really feel that there are a lot of relationships that are not reconciled in the body and outside the body. And I believe that this could be very helpful this morning to allowing the Lord to deal with some areas that might be limiting his movement in our church and in our life. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you four ways that we judge in a way that Jesus is commanding us not to judge. And I want to encourage you to take notes because it's going to be very helpful. And there's two reasons I want you to take notes. Number one, it's very helpful. Number two, I don't want your neighbor next to you to judge you for not taking notes and think that you're less spiritual than they are. So if, you, if you're taking notes, how do we do this? How, do we, how are we guilty of judging in a sinful way? Well, number one is this, when we judge presumptuously. Presumptuously, what does that mean? It's when we make assumptions about a person's motives or intentions without merit. So it's when we see someone's behavior or action, and it could be right action, wrong action. It could be just, I don't like what they did, but I don't know if it's necessarily wrong or right. It's just not what I would do. But oftentimes what we do is that we evaluate a person's spirituality. We evaluate their motive. We make assumptions about their intention with no merit. We just make assumptions. Well, I know why they did that. This is why they said that, or this is why they did that. This is why they took that position. And all of a sudden we become the judge and jury and the executioner of that person's heart because of our own observations that is meritless. Now here's the problem with that. 
You see, when we make presumptions about someone and we judge them based upon our assumptions and we talk about their motives and intentions, here's what we're saying. I know what's happening in their heart. You know what scripture says? Only God knows what's happening in someone's heart. And when we move into the role where we're just going to be the external evaluator and go, okay, I see what's happening here. This is what they're thinking. And this is why they're doing this. We are making these declarations that I am on an equal playing ground with God in my evaluation of that person. And that's just sin. And we're all guilty of this. Can I tell you, the scripture says you don't even know your own heart. That I don't even know my, I can't trust my heart. Only God knows my heart. Only God knows your heart. But when I move into that presumptuous thoughts and and declarations about a person, I am moving into judging in an unbiblical way. Here's number two. We do this self-righteously. We do this self-righteously. It's when we, listen to this, it's when we make our personal preferences and perspectives the ultimate standard. I know no one in here does this. We don't do this, right? So what do you mean by this? It's when we hold someone to a standard that is not declared clearly in scripture. Do you realize that there are some gray areas in the Bible? There are some areas where God is not real specific about certain situations. Now, there's a lot that he's clear on, right? But there are some areas of the Bible where we just don't see clearly a singular position that a person should take. The Bible at times will leave room for us to pray and seek the Lord and and have some discernment and ask his spirit to guide us and lead us into what he feels is best for us for a particular situation or a particular perspective. And there are times where others will pursue the Lord and we can come to two different conclusions And both of them are right for where the Holy Spirit has led us. Why? Because there is no definitive, thus says the Lord every time on this. But what we do oftentimes is that we take our own personal perspectives and typically it's not just perspectives, it's preferences and we transfer them into somebody else's life and hold them to that standard. And so what we're doing is is self-righteously, here's here's what, what we're doing. We are putting a standard into place that is outside of the standard that we find in Scripture. See, what is self-righteousness? What is legalism? It's when you add to the standard. So I, I, I grew up in a church where literally you, you measured people's spirituality based upon external evaluations. So men had to have a haircut certain way. There was a certain length above the ear that it had to be. And if you had hair any longer than that, then you were not a spiritual person. I'm not joking about that. Like there were certain ways that a woman had to wear their hair that if they wasn't wore just like that, then they were considered ungodly women. There was measurements like literally down to the, to the inch of the length of clothing they could wear and even the type and the style and the fit of those clothing. And there would be constant evaluation based upon those things. And here's the problem with that. While there are standards in the scripture for our appearance, there was a standard being created based upon personal opinion and perspective. And everyone was being held to that standard and being judged according to it. And this is part of the issue that Jesus is dealing with in the Sermon on the Mount with the religious leaders. Listen, this is sinful. And and by the way, we all do this. Case in point, your political perspectives. 
Well, I think that Jesus is Democrat. Well, I think that Jesus is Republican. He ain't either. And so all of a sudden, we take the floating issues of culture that we have certain perspectives on, and we treat them like we find them, Scripture verses in, in the Bible, and we apply those, and we judge people according to those. COVID has been the great example of that for us, by the way. Or we just add these layers of standards and we hold people to. Here's number three. We do this hypocritically. Hypocritically. This is the hard one here. And this is the one that punched me in the mouth this week. Hypocritically. We, we do this when we are more bothered by someone else's sin than we are broken over our own. Somebody help me. When we are more bothered by someone else's sin than broken over our own. This is the issue that Jesus is dealing with. You see, what happens is, is the reason self-righteous, judgmental behavior comes into play is when we create standards that we can achieve that others can't so that we feel more spiritual. And what happens is it creates a system to where I can get really comfortable with my own sin and really judgmental of the sin of others. And this is what Jesus is dealing with here. I love this. He says, he says this in verse three. He says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own? When he uses the word speck here, the word speck is the idea of dust. It's a particle. It's like, like the smallest thing that's obstructing someone's vision in their eye. And then when he, says, when he says log, the idea there is like this massive beam that would hold the weight of the structure of a home. Like, think, think about this, like a, like a massive oak tree compared to a little piece of sawdust. That's the picture here. And there's humor in this because Jesus is saying, you are so concerned with the dust in somebody else's eye and you got an oak tree hanging out of your face. And here's what I've discovered in my own life. You ready for this? Listen, this is self-reflection here. This was back porch. The Lord wearing me out this week. Here's what I learned about myself. In the times in my life when I am most judgmental in relationships and as your pastor, in the times of my life where I am most judgmental sinfully are the times when I've grown so comfortable with sin in my own life. Because I use this as a deflecting mechanism. As long as I'm dealing with other people, I don't have to deal with me. And, 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 this, and I could be even right in my evaluation. But the spirit is wrong because the motive isn't godliness. The, the goal oftentimes is the camouflaging of ungodliness. Am I the only one? But here's the other discovery. And this is the flip side that's liberating. The more I get honest about my own oak trees, the more gracious and patient I am with the dust in other people's eyes. And it doesn't mean I ignore it. It just means that I understand, man, God is doing such a gracious work in my life. And when I have a clear perspective of my own sin and am broken over it, it makes me tender to the struggles of others. Here's number four. We do this mercilessly mercilessly. And this is the one that I feel like 2020 has revealed in so many of us. This is when we dismiss the person because we disagree with their position. 
We dismiss the person because we disagree with their position. Now listen to me. Their position could be unbiblical and an absolute sin. Or it could be just that gray area that we're talking about and it's just a different of perspective. But we're living in what's called the cancel culture. And that door swings two ways, by the way. And what happens is in many of our relationships and in this hot button, everybody is kind of intense in, in and focused on their own perspectives and political issues and all of the, the deals, the things that we're dealing with as a culture and society. Here's what we've done. When we find people that disagree with us, we dismiss them. We're done with the relationship. Unfollow, unfriend. We're not going to hang out. Why? Because I don't agree with these areas. And what's happening is in this moment is that we're saying they're not worthy of a relationship because we don't see things the right way. And listen, you say, what about if it's a sin issue? This still is a sin issue. Listen, what's happening when you dismiss a person, even when they're wrong, when you just dismiss them, you are taking the position of condemnation. You're saying they're, va- they're not valuable as a friend because of this. And here's what I believe, if I read the Bible correctly, even when Judas came to betray Jesus, he called him friend. You see, when we dismiss people because we have a difference in opinion or a difference in position, even if we're right, we are saying that that person is not worthy worthy of the relationship because they don't see life like I see life. Church, if we're going to be sanctified, we've got to understand this is sin and it is predominant in the church right now. Our feelings toward the world, our feelings toward other believers because of a lot of political differences has caused a lot of relationships, even within the families, to break down. Jesus says, that's not what I want from my people. And we do this passively, by the way. You know that, right? It's when we fail to address sin in someone's life because we go, well, that's just who they are. They're never going to change. I'm not going to waste my time with them. Anybody felt that before? You have to raise your hand. What's happening in that moment? You're dismissing the person because of their position. You're just dismissing them passively. They're not worth your time because you've already made the judgment that there's nothing that's going to happen that will make them change. Now, is this ouch? I mean, this stings a little bit. And we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. This is why when Jesus says, do not judge here, it's in what's called the, the, the passive imperative. I'm sorry, present imperative. Present imperative. Imperative is command. Present means right now, ongoing. So when Jesus says, don't judge, he's saying, stop judging right now. Because all of us are susceptible to living this, this kind of life. He's basically saying, stop in action already in progress. And this is a serious thing. Look what he says in verse two. For with which the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. This is what's called divine passive. A divine passive. In other words, when Jesus says this, he is not saying, if you judge others harshly, they'll judge you harshly, although that's probably true. What Jesus is saying is is that if you judge people harshly, divine passive means this is how God is going to treat you. And this is, this is consistent with what we see in other parts of the Sermon on the Mount. 
So this is not a small thing. So when we think of, 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 of this type of a sin, we automatically rank it as, as down here. And Jesus is saying, do you understand that, that the harshness that you use in judging people in relationships, this is what it will be measured to you. But how does God judge us? According to Christ, aren't you grateful for that? So how do we avoid this? If this is something we're susceptible to, and this is a big deal, how do we avoid it? Let me give you a couple of things to write down. This is really where I want the meat to be this morning. This is gonna be, I believe, so helpful, helping you navigate some of your marriages. You'll be encouraged in your marriage to work through conflict differently when you stop doing these others and start doing the ones I'm about to give you. Some of your friendships, because of different of, of ideology of life, you're gonna have healthier friendships if you'll stop the first four and start the next three. And here's number one, write this down. If we wanna avoid this, Number one, you need to see yourself and others through the lens of the gospel. See yourself and others through the lens of the gospel. Look what he says in verse two. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. He's saying there's a judgment for all of us. There's a judgment for all of us, and here's the reality. We've gotta see ourselves through the lens of the gospel, and here's what happens when you see yourself through the lens of the gospel. Here is what you will understand. The, the verdict in your life, apart from Jesus, is what? It is guilty on every charge. That is the verdict that has been rendered in every single one of our lives, apart from Jesus, that we are guilty in our sin. I love what John Owen says about this. He says, the seed of every sin is in every heart. You know what that simply means? Just think about maybe the worst thing you can imagine. Think about maybe a mass murderer or a serial killer. We watch documentaries or we hear on the news something like this and we go, who in the world would do something like that? And then here's the answer, all of us. You're like, not me. The seed of every sin is in every heart. Just because that seed has not given way to fruit doesn't mean that the same sin that's in that person doesn't exist in you. Think about someone who traffics someone, another human, or is a pedophile. You go, I mean, how in the world could anyone do that? Listen to this. The same seed of sin that that person acted upon is the same seed of sin that's in all of our hearts. And unless we begin to understand the full depravity of who we are apart from Christ, we will never be able to see the world rightly. The seed of every sin is in every heart. And here's what the Bible says, Romans chapter three, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody say all. For all, every single one of us, we've, we've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. That we're all sinners. Romans chapter six, verse 23 says that the consequence is that, that the wages of that sin is what? It's death. It's condemnation. It's eternal judgment forever. That we're all sinners. This is who we are apart from Christ. And we are dead in our sins. We are condemned because of our sins. But Romans 6, 23 also says, but the free gift of God is what? It's eternal life. So that while I am guilty of sin and I deserve eternal judgment, what God has given me is something I don't deserve, which is eternal life in Christ. How in the world could he do this? It's because of Romans chapter 5 verse 8 where the scripture says listen but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this that while we were still sinners Christ died for us 
This is who we are. And this is the reason why. Listen to this. John chapter 3, verse 17 says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so here's what I have to understand. When I see myself through the lens of the gospel, I understand that I have received mercy and grace and love. I did not receive condemnation. You see, here's what happened on the cross. The condemnation of my sin the judgment that I deserved was transferred to Jesus. The declaration of innocent, innocent that Jesus deserved, it was transferred to me. It's what they call the great exchange. It's where Jesus was condemned for me. I was declared innocent in him. And here's what happens when I begin to see my life through the lens of the gospel. I begin to understand that grace received means grace distributed. I see others through the lens of the gospel. And if they were worthy enough for Jesus to die for and resurrect to give new life, then they are worthy of my love and respect. Therefore, it creates a grace and a mercy, not tolerance of sin, but patience and love toward the sinner. See yourself the lens of the gospel. So let me just say this. Okay. I just, one of the most obnoxious unbelievers in the world right now is a guy named Bill Maher. Anybody heard of Bill Maher? Um, I mean, dude's out there. You hear some of the stuff that comes out of the mouth. I'm like, how in the God is gracious. I just tell you, Bill Maher is not any more lost right now than I was before Jesus. You realize that. So I got saved at six. Great. He saved you at six from becoming that. You see, it changes the way that you evaluate a person. When you see yourself and others through the lens of the gospel, here's number two. This is a big one. You ready for this? Deal with your own sin before dealing with the sin of others. Deal with your own sin before dealing with the sin of others. Isn't this a creative idea? Right? Like, are you serious? Look what he says here, verse three. He says, why do you see the sawdust in your brother's eye and do not notice the oak tree that's hanging out of your face? That's a loose translation of the scripture. <laughs> or why do you say to your brother, this is, listen, some of y'all need to laugh more when you read the scripture. Jesus is not Standing like this, I think he's being very animated. I think everybody would have laughed at this next line. And here's what Jesus is saying. He goes, he goes, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck or the sawdust out of your own eye when you got a tree hanging out of your face? I think everyone would have started laughing because that's just absurd. Like who would ever think that I'm going to be walking around with this big obstruction over my face going, hey, let me help you with the little thing in your life. And this is what Jesus is saying. Notice what he says next. What's the answer for this? He says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Imagine this. Imagine if you, you know, someone having a cataract, there's very mild cataract. So it's just simply a, 
an obstruction to clear vision, right? Not necessarily life-threatening. Everything is great. You still see, read fine. You just know things aren't right with your vision. So imagine you say, but I want to have cataract surgery. I want to have that removed. So you go and you're there in the room and all of a sudden you're there for that little minor surgery, not life-threatening, no big deal. I just have a little bit of fuzziness in my vision. And all of a sudden the surgeon comes in and his face is wrapped up and bandaged completely. And he's being escorted in. He doesn't even know where to go. And he's trying to grab, like he's grabbing the wrong tools and they're putting stuff in his hand. And he's like, open your eyes. What are you doing in that moment? You're, you're out of there, right? Why? Because you're gonna come out of there blind. That's why. What started as something small because someone who was ill-equipped in the moment, who had what they needed, but did not have clarity of vision to do the thing that they were attempting to do would actually create a deeper problem than they started with. And this is the why, this is why there are so many hurt and broken relationships within the body of Christ. Everybody is trying to perform eye surgery on someone else and we're doing it blindly because we don't deal with what's happening in our own heart. And we create bigger issues and bigger problems as a result. And I'll just be honest with you. This is just confession for me. So I told you the last several months, I preached this a couple of months ago. The last, last year was a tough year, especially the last half of the year. I was frustrated at everything. Frustrated at church. Frustrated at you. Frustrated at everything. Life. Frustrated at God. And it just felt like there was low level of spirituality in our church and we weren't praying like we should. And, and, I, and I think I was right in all of those evaluations. The problem is this. I wasn't dealing with me. And, and I told you, and if, if you are, are new here, I went through a season of just struggling. I mean, I struggled with that. Like, what, didn't, but then on, on, on January the, the 3rd, 4th, I was sitting right over here. Pastor Daniel was preaching preaching on prayer, all things. Man, the Holy Spirit did something. Like I, all, I can, all I can say is this, is that now looking back, I think what the Lord was doing is saying, you might be right with the evaluation of the church's level of spirituality and fervency in prayer, but the church is like that because they're a reflection of you. And man, when, when that... I can hear it now more clearly, but when that word hit me in that moment, I went home and I told my wife, I was like, because the Lord dealt with me that day. Because in essence, what he's saying, the church may have issues, but the root problem of your life is you. Why don't you let me deal with you? I can't explain that. I told my wife when I got home, it, I felt like, spiritually speaking, a fog had lifted. And I could see clearly how to lead the church into these days that we're in now. Not perfectly, not that I have all the answers. But it was like there was this, I told her, it's like there's this fog lifted. I could see clearly for the first time in months. You know what that was? It was the massive tree hanging out of my face. And the Holy Spirit took chainsaws to this one. And he cut me up. And listen, I'm telling you, there's something liberating when you deal with your own sin that gives you clarity spiritually in the rest of life, which leads me to number three. How do we do this rightly? Listen, we see ourselves through the lens of the gospel and others through the lens of the gospel. We deal with our own sin before dealing with the sin of others. And then in love, walk with fellow believers towards sanctification. 
Notice what he says here. He says, you hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye, but don't miss the last part, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So there is still a spiritual responsibility that we have toward one another to help each other towards sanctification. I need you in my life. You need me in your life. You need one another in your life. We need friends in our life who will help us. You see, listen, one of the ways that we grow spiritually is have other brothers and sisters who are godly in our life, and we give them freedom to call out the blind spots. The elders of our church do this for me. I have close friends in this. They'll ask me, what's your motive? Why are you so concerned about this? How's your walk with Jesus? How's your personal holiness? Or when they see things like, hey, you're, are you dating your wife enough? Are y'all going on enough dates? I don't see you're working a lot or you guys are busy, but are you having good family time? I mean, those are things that I need brothers in my life who will look at me in love and say, man, I, I, I don't, I prayed through this and here, there's a splinter right here. I want to help you because I feel like it's going to hurt you if I don't. We need that. The problem is in our, in our arrogance, we don't want people helping us and we say we want godliness as long as we do it ourselves. And the Christian life was never meant to be a journey toward godliness alone. We need one another. And so when you see yourself through the lens of the gospel and you begin to process and, and confess sin and deal, you're going to be not only more open to brothers and sisters speaking into your life, you're going to be more ready spiritually to speak into their life because you're going to have clearer vision to do so. We need this desperately. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. There's more here I want to talk about, and we're not going to get to that, because I want to deal with this for a second. I'm going to get you to bow your heads. Our worship team is going to come out, and I want us to have a moment of processing this. And I, I, don't, I don't want us to skirt over this. I want us to really lean in. There are some of you today in this room or watching online, and the truth be known, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never been converted. And what I mean by that is born again. So you might have prayed a prayer, but there's never been life change. There's never been a moment of being born again. I want you to know this morning that Jesus is gracious and he's merciful and he will meet you where you are. You've, you've maybe you've tried religion to clean yourself up thinking you've got to be good enough to get to God. And there's this kind of this, this standoffish fear of, man, I, I just, I don't know that I'm good enough. I'm just going to kind of keep things at an arm's length away from God. Listen, here's what you need to know. God did not send Jesus to condemn you, but to save you. He loves you. And the cross proves it. And you are not too far gone. The message of Christianity is not you're a sinner, you're condemned. The message of Christianity is you're a sinner and you can be forgiven. And Jesus has done all of the work and there's some of you today that you know you need to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And with every head bowed, I just want to get you to do me a favor. Just right now, just in your own words, just say, God, I want to be saved. Like, if that's you, just say, I want to, I want to know you. I want to be saved and reconciled to you. I want a relationship with you. 
believe you died and I believe you resurrected. Give me life. I want to be born again. For those of you that prayed that, and if you're serious about that, I'm not, I'm not going to make any apologies about this. And if you're serious about that, in a moment, we're going to have a time of response. I want to encourage you to leave your seat, come and take the hands of one of our encouragers and say, I prayed today to receive Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you say, I know Christ. I've never been baptized. I've never told the world through baptism that I've been saved. And maybe that's the decision you need to make today, but come and grab them. But for those of you who are believers in the room, I want you to reflect on something and then we're going to sing for a moment and respond. What's the tree in your life, the log in your eye that you're just not dealing with? It's it's killing you spiritually. It's killing relationships. Keep people at a distance. You're judgmental because of it. Are you tired of the front and of the relational shrapnel? Those around you? Why don't you repent of that today? Knowing that his grace is enough. Ask him to perform surgery. Maybe come and be prayed for. Come to this altar. Others of you, who are the people in your life that you've dismissed that need to be reconciled, that you need to go and just ask for forgiveness? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or mom or dad or a friend, coworker, church member, life group member. You want to... Jesus to move in your life freely. Walk in obedience to the simple things. Others of you in this room, who's the friend that you've avoided having a conversation with? You love them and your motives are pure, but you're so scared that if you address an area of their life that they're going to reject you. Would you pray for boldness to love them enough to love them well? Simple prayer could be this. Jesus, help me to love my friend more than my friendship. Father, I I give this time to you and ask that you would move. Give us freedom in this place for healing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I'm going to get you to stand. Just stand to your feet. We're going to take a couple of moments. And I want us to just respond There's some of you need to come and be prayed for because you received Jesus as your Savior. Others of you, reconciliation. Others of you need to get serious about the sin that's obstructing your vision spiritually. Let's not be hearers of the word only. Let's be doers of the word. And that starts right now.